You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey, Austin, how are you? Not too bad, man. Um, dealing with some heat, but that, that comes with the territory. How about you? Ah, uh, hey, that's, that's okay. If you're get either deal with the heat or get out of the kitchen, in your case, you're staying in there and you're renovating said kitchen. There you go. <laughs> um, I thank you for taking time to join us over on our podcast. I'm really excited because this, this story, and let me just read the headline because I'm sure people have heard of it. So the, the headline from Toronto life was I'm 25, live with my parents and own 20 rental properties. Here's how I did it. And instead of just talking about you on our show, I wanted to talk to you and give you a platform to, I guess, simmer down some of this heat that you're getting. Maybe tell me a little bit about this story and how this has all kind of been playing out around you. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you some background into what the story, like what the article says and what the overall story actually is, right? Um, so basically the article kind of highlights on a high level how I got started in investing, um, which was ever since a young age, I was very frugal in nature. I would save all of my money up, right? My parents are blue collar workers. So minimum wage, a typical immigrant story, not going to get into all of that. Um, but by the time I hit my first full-time job at RBC, I worked a bunch of internships, got scholarships, and I just wasn't satisfied with my life because I felt like I did everything right. My parents told me to study hard, got a scholarship, work good jobs. I worked in consulting, audit, all of that good stuff. But there was a sense of this can't be what life is all about, right? There has to be more than this. And I dabbled around in stocks, lost a couple of thousand. Um, the, I was trading weed stocks at the time, which was obviously we know that's not a good idea. It's <laughs> Anyone trendy. who was pretty trendy though. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't be chasing uh, trends, as you know, as, a, right. as an investor, right? Um, but I was chasing trends, and I ran across real estate investing, and Toronto was was definitely out of my budget, being 23 years old at the time, having $40,000 saved up, again, through the frugality, saving money, not spending on anything. Um, so I ended up running across uh, Windsor, which was a very cheap market, and I purchased my first investment property there. Uh, picked it up for $130,000, so 26K down payment, so that's a 20% down payment, renovated it refinanced it. Um, after refinanced it, I pulled my money out. The tenant paid one year rent up front. So that was another 26,000. So I actually had more money than I started off with. Wow. Did that again. And then I uh, did that again with a duplex. And pretty much at a certain point, I started raising capital. Investors got interested. They were like, who is this kid? What is he up to? How is he able to scale so quickly? Getting three properties within six to seven months was unheard of for someone at my age. And uh, building that credibility, people are just like, I have money sitting around. I don't have the time and energy as this kid. So I'm going to give him the money. And I held their mortgages initially um, because a lot of these people were tapped out because they owned their primary residence. But then as I continued to scale and I, and I proved myself more credible as an investor, I started having more leverage. I was like, look, we're not going to partner unless you bring the money and hold the mortgage, right? And, and we split the profits 50-50. Uh, losses are also split 50-50. So if we sell the property and it ends up being a loss, we split that 50-50. But that's what really helped me scale, right? Like I really just got up to three or four properties myself. And then once once the credibility hit in, a bunch of people started funding me money. And that definitely wasn't touched on in the Toronto Life article. They basically <laughs> said this kid went from zero, uh, zero to 20 properties. That's it, right? Um, and they, they focused on the highlights. It was it was an up and down journey. As, you, as any investor knows, on this show, who has been on the show or is listening to the show, real estate is, it's an up and down journey, but over the long term, if you can hold on, 
it's you're it's going to pay off in, in 10 times right um but that's what the article really just focused on yeah yeah and i've so where i've seen your article where i'm hearing the buzz is funny enough to a lot of the people that are often quoted on our show as experts in our industry there is a ton of flack and i i don't know how much of it kind of penetrates because i know you're a super business-minded guy you're you're, you're just looking you're looking forward but there's been quite a bit of critiques and and complaints and now maybe it's the way the toronto life article was written but the strategies you're employing though done quickly in a market that's accelerating quite quickly and especially in, in a place like windsor these are not unusual strategies and actually i think i got a ton of value i love hearing some of the early on ideas because i think many investors myself included have gone for years of different and tr doing different things trying different things but you seem to hit, you're, you're more of a one hit wonder. You hit it on the first one and now you've got a system within a couple properties. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about this. Um, just, I, I know many of our listeners are familiar with the, the Burr strategy, but tell us a little bit about what that process looks like and what makes what you do different and appealing to so many investors. Yeah, yeah. So a big thing is, is that I'm still working full-time corporate, right? And I'm investing in a city that's four hours away from me. So by default, I have to learn to outsource, which is the toughest thing for investors. You try to get involved in every little thing. Right off the bat, I had to outsource. So with the first property, I outsourced the deal hunting, which is something now I don't outsource because I think deal hunting is the most important part. You want to be somewhat involved in the process at the very least. Um, and I outsourced contracting, property management, but I didn't do any of my due diligence. So I was just hiring it out to random people and I got screwed over. They were taking me for rides because they knew I was four hours away. I didn't, I didn't bet them out properly. So I ended up overpaying renovations took double the time, but things still worked out. As you were saying that Windsor wasn't appreciating market at the time. So I can't say I had any uh, special intelligence buying my first property. It just happened. So the market was on fire and I was able to refi within three to four months, but I took those as learning lessons, right? So kind of what I do now is, is that the, the analogy I like to give is that you talk to this, you talk to Bill Gates, right? Um, when he was CEO of Microsoft, if you were to ask him, like, how are you maintaining the revenues in your store in Yorkdale? He's going to be like, I hire it out to the right people. I have nothing to do with it. Right. Right. Same thing with my business is, is that I'm not hands-on there. I'm not an expert at construction. I'm not an expert at property management. I know how to do these things on a high level, but by no means I can go down to Windsor and do it myself. So what I'm an expert at is putting teams together and managing these teams. So what I do is I speak to other investors local to that area. I build relationships. I speak to people like, like yourself. I'm sure you have a rock star contract or property management and stuff that you can hand over to your investors. I speak to those people like that in the Windsor region. And I get a list of four or five contractors from investors, from agents, and then I interview them. So that's how I've been going about it more recently. Um, and as you were mentioning, my strategy is diverse strategy. So I like to focus on buying undervalued properties, properties that are untaken care of because those properties generally don't attract first time home buyers. They, they stray away from fixer uppers, but it is definitely a cash cow for people like us who, who are investor minded and investor savvy. So I pick these properties up below fair market value. I do strategic renovation. So very basic stuff. We're talking about paint, flooring, new light fixtures, maybe adding another bedroom, um, creating an open concept layout, just, just putting my hat, my, put, putting my, my thinking hat in the perspective of a first time home buyer, what do they want to see in a property? And I renovate it to that standard, take it to the bank and say, Hey, Mr. Bank, what is this property worth? The bank walks in there and says, you picked it up for a hundred, but this property is now worth $200,000, right? Just by making small strategic renovations. 
And what happens is I now say that this property is worth $200,000. So let me pull that money out. Let me refinance it. And during this entire process, I'm cash flow positive. So that's another big thing that people in the article kept on pointing out. They're like, this guy can't serve. I don't know why people think I, I have, they I think I have say. 0% equity. How like that doesn't even make sense. How can you buy a property with 0% equity? Who, who are the lenders? Are you going to a lenders for every single property you're doing here? Yeah. So I'm going with a lenders. Um, so there, so the logic behind that is, is that typically I work with Scotia and RBC. Scotia has been the most lenient to residential yeah. real estate investors. Yeah. Um, what I found out is, is that there's kind of a rule of thumb, uh, of course, confirmed with a mortgage broker. But the, the rule of thumb is, is that if your rental income is double your mortgage payment. So if my mortgage payment is 500 bucks and I'm renting it out at $1,000 plus, it actually helps your borrowing capacity. So Scotia, every rental property I got, Scotia is like, you can qualify for even more than you began, right? And it was, I was at a point where Scotia is like, yeah, you're not going to be disqualified because of your income. You're going to be disqualified by the 10 property cap. You're not able to hold more than 10 properties with Scotia is what they, what they told me. Right. So pretty much I had never had an issue with financing because my rental income was so strong relative to the, to the debt I was taking on. So it ended up allowing me to borrow even more and more and more. Yeah. And which is part of this benefit of being in these outskirts suburb communities, forget wait till COVID happens to recognize there's a cash flow opportunity out there. You did it a couple of years ago and you're just ahead. I, I think it's fabulous that you're working with these big banks like Scotiabank. And, and, and I completely agree from what I did read of that article, it seemed to be very unfair. It's like, this guy's not coming up with a hundred percent money here. This guy is getting a mortgage and we all know with the stress tests and all the challenges that are facing that today, that's harder than ever. So the fact you're able to do that, there should be a bit of a rubber stamp, at least with fellow investors. But I think what that goes to show you is in our industry, we're very much led by the real estate agent, the, the affordability. And, and there's a lot of like, really just following TREB stats. And I think it's more important for us to take an investor perspective on it because this is where the money is. This is where a lot of our listeners are. And a lot of them can relate to what you're doing. Just so happens you're 25. And so you take a hit. But I mean, our guest last week, we had Adrian on the show within 10 years. He's built a portfolio of tens of millions. I can't remember the exact size now. Uh, go back and check that out. But all of these, all of these people are, are pulling these same maneuvers, right? The joint venture partnerships. And now with, no, so to bring it back here, with COVID and with all the challenges you say of, of networking and even before the show, we were talking a little bit about that. What are some of the creative ways now you've gotten really involved? I know you're doing your podcast, which we'll definitely talk about on the show, mm -hmm. but what are some other ways you're getting, uh, you're connecting with high top performers in these parallel industries? That's yeah. So exactly what you said, social media and leveraging it. I know a lot of people look down on social media and I actually deleted social media before real estate, believe it or not, even though I'm really present on it now, I understand what the value of social media is for from a business perspective, right? People are engaging on social media. You can follow other people, follow their journey. So that's a big way. I follow investors like yourself or other people I run across and I message them and try to connect. Um, so that's my number one way. Second way is that I organize uh, a meetup and that in itself kind of brings a community of investors together. We mastermind, share ideas, connect with each other, ask questions and um, joining, joining groups is a, is a great way to connect with other investors. So one thing that I do sure. tell everyone is, is that go on meetup.com. If, if you want to invest in Kitchener, go on meetup.com, search Kitchener real estate investing. There's probably a group there. Go to Facebook, search Kitchener real estate. It's probably a group there, right? Like, and I just join these different groups and I get engaged with the community. Um, but I just leverage social media to connect with other people because now we can't, there's no possible way we can, we can meet up with people unless it's in small groups, of course, but 
even to that, like if you're meeting someone the first time, you're not going to be able to convince them to come out during this, this entire situation. So just really leverage social media, join different groups, join masterminds. Um, that's how I've been, been connecting with investors and continuing to grow my relationships. Yeah. Wonderful. And, and that's all fantastic advice. And I think it's really that little bit extra step. Like it's not just about, you know, going out and, and depending on what side, if you're looking for joint venture partners or you yourself are looking to invest, finding partners, it's not just about running out and looking for something, but actually building relationships. It's, it's not just about getting the money, but be doing business with someone that you like and trust. There's no shortage of money. Once you start to circle into the investing world, the challenge comes on the side of, of deals and property analysis and running a successful system, which you guys have clearly been able to accomplish uh, out in Windsor. So let me ask you, um, as we kind of like, if someone was considering investing, maybe they're new or they're looking to get involved in real estate more and not just buy a house or downsize or whatever, but actually get serious about investing. What are some words of wisdom back in your, when you were just starting out that you would give to those people, things that maybe, and maybe you've done things perfectly, or maybe there's a couple of things that you think you wish if you could go back, you'd make an adjustment. Yeah. So the first thing I would do is, is that educate yourself on fundamentals of real estate. I find that a lot of, a lot of investors just want to buy properties and figure things out later. Kind of like what I did at the beginning. That's not the best case. You should definitely educate yourself. And the book I recommend investors to read is, is that it's called the book on investing in rental properties. I know very creative name and it's written by, <laughs> it's written by Brandon Turner of bigger pockets. They're huge in the U S not as much in Canada, but I find that as kind of the Bible of real estate investing It tells you what cash and cash return is why appreciation is important, how to strategically renovate all of the one-on-ones of real estate investing. Once you read that book, like the, the, the second thing I would do is connect with other people, right? Connect with other investors because real estate, you never want to be a lone wolf. You want to have people there to support you and motivate you. If you're doing it alone, I, chances are what, from my experience and what I've seen is at a certain point, you might eventually quit or there's only a certain point you can reach and you're going to find trouble to kind of get past that because you're limiting beliefs. So I would, I would join other investor groups and get to mastermind and network with other investors. And then thirdly is, is that start building your power team and how you do that is you talk to other experienced investors, right? Other experienced experienced investors are working with rockstar agents. They're working with rockstar contractors. That's how they were able to achieve their level of success. And in Toronto life, too many people are, and this is the crab in a bucket mentality. I don't blame people. Cause this is, if I wasn't investing in real estate, I would have the same exact my exact mindset, but we focus on this is impossible. This guy, this kid's lying. He's laundering money. I've seen those comments. Um, his parents are multimillionaires funneling him deals. Instead, what you should ask yourself, and this is a hard concept for people to build in their mind is, is that how do I get there? What did he do? How can I connect with this person to learn from him and try to leverage that in my own uh, business, right? These are the questions I ask. I don't say things are impossible. I say, how can I do it if someone else did it? Yeah. No, for sure. And I would encourage, I'm assuming there's probably already a, a wide number of people that overlap in our podcast. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your podcast, because I think this is a great platform for people to learn as a, a starting point um, beyond just learning about what's happening in the market. I think a lot of people come through that filter. They come, they come to us in our podcast and say, hey, what's happening in the market? What's my condo going to do next month? And they end up quickly realizing it's not about what your condo does next month. It's about making as much money as you can in real estate, a fixed asset that's set to to just get to new levels in the coming years. And, and podcasts like yours are that next level, right? You're able to educate and inform investors on how to really scale their business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe some of the fun stuff you guys have accomplished on that show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, before I even get to that, like what you said is super key. I just, and I don't think it's going to resonate with people, but 
real estate's not a get rich quick scheme, right? There's articles like the ones that was published, like mine, which makes it appear like it's a get rich quick scheme, but it, it's definitely not. And I do kind of dislike the media for kind of, um, and I played a part of this, right? But kind of putting that to light and saying that this is the standard that you should reach, right? As exactly what you're saying, who cares what happens within the next three or four months? Like if the market appreciated by two times, would you sell that condo? No. So if it's going to, if it's going to price is going to drop by two times, like, why are you going to like, it, why are you going to sell it? You are in this for the long term, but it's just that people have trouble kind of sitting through, through the tough times. But uh, yeah, all that to say, well, not even to say, now let's talk about the second half with the podcast. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, the podcast was something that I started up, I want to say a month and a half, two months ago. And it was really just because um, I didn't feel like there was any podcast out there from a young person's perspective, because I am a millennial, I'm in my twenties and I'm kind of investing in real estate to escape the rat race, the nine to five. Don't think there was anything tailored there. And a lot of people have the same mutual feelings as me. A lot of my friends do. A lot of people I speak to, they complain about their job, right? But it's such a taboo subject to talk about it publicly. And for me, I think I'm blessed in the, in the sense that I've done well enough in the real estate uh, journey that um, I feel like I have the freedom to talk about whatever I want. And it's, yeah. if it costs me anything along the way, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Financially, yeah. I'll, I'll be doing all right. But, uh, and I just want to share the journey of other investors, share my thoughts, share the, the as, as exactly what you were saying, the fundamentals of real estate, how people can get inspired to take action or grow their portfolio. And that's what my podcast is all about. And I just want to say kudos to you on your podcast. Like I, I started listening to it right when the first episode came out and I didn't reach out to you until like, I want to say a month ago, but your podcast has been um, it's really kept me grounded as well. Cause during COVID, like I was, I was going to poop my pants. I was like, what's going on? What, what's happening? But you made every, you were just like, you were saying things that a lot of people were disagreeing with at the time, even in my head as I like disagreeing with, but it proved true. Right? right. Like a lot of the things that you said, actually kind of like, guys, like calm down, don't worry about it. Give it some time. We don't know where things are going to go. CMHC is just putting headlines out there. And it's exactly true. Like your, your new, your new episode said it's not even relevant anymore. I love the analyst that's not relevant, but you need to, you need to listen to other people out in the industry to kind of keep level headed. And my podcast, I hope that's one way of doing that as well from the real estate fundamentals point of view. Absolutely. And thank you for taking what was said and what you've learned along the way. And you've, again, you've turned it into, you're making me, you're making me like teary eyed. I love, I love comments <laughs> I on my show all the time. I love getting comments. This is just one more way to, to speak. It's a two way conversation really with our, with, with our guests now, but also with our audience and, and, and I do encourage everyone to listen. So it's called Rise Podcast, right? Is there any it's called to- the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast. That's it. The Rise mm-hmm. Real Estate Investing Podcast. I encourage you guys, go check it out, especially if you're listening on, uh, on any podcast channel. Go take a peek there, guys. You're going to learn some stuff. It really is um, like a puzzle. You put, you put the real estate market on one side, you put the investing side on the other side, and you've got almost a complete picture of what you can expect from our market. In fact, most of the information in the same way as what you're saying, when I looked at, at the landscape, it seems to be bigger pockets and, and American sources that are really telling us where to, to be successful in our marketplace. There's very few voices around here. And so having another voice in the, in the room is, has been incredible. It's been great for me. And I'm, I know I look forward to seeing when your episodes pop out as well, because I learned stuff along the way as well. So is there any other platforms that our, our audience can find you uh, if they have any questions or they want to reach out to you or how are they best to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the best way is on Instagram, uh, AustinYay6, A-U-S-T-I-N-Y-E-H-6. You can go ahead and follow uh, the uh, Rise Network event on Instagram as well, R-I-S-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K event. Um, Click there 
and there's links to every single one of my other social media platforms. So I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> no, fantastic. Yeah. And Austin's very involved on Instagram. Like you guys post story content constantly. You, you take it to another level. So that's a awesome. little bit too much, but yeah, <laughs> no, it's good. It keeps people, it keeps you top of mind. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, Austin, thanks again for taking time to explain to us a little bit more about what Toronto life missed in our article. And, and we look forward to seeing where your journey takes you in the next few years. Really appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks so much, Bradley. Thank you.